You're listening to The Profile. Hello and welcome to The Profile podcast. I'm Andy Peck. Maybe you have a leadership role, or maybe you're just seeking to use your influence in godly ways. You will know that leadership can be a bit of a roller coaster, wonderful highs, crushing lows, and an awful lot of daily grind. Sometimes you need advice and encouragement from people who can relate to your situation. This is why for the past 18 years I've been interviewing Christians in the world of leadership, from churches, charities and commercial and non-commercial settings. I've been aiming to support Christians just like you, so you can honour God, who is our ultimate leader. I trust that this next conversation will be an inspiration to you. This show is brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Get full online access and the print magazine every month by becoming a subscriber. See special offers available now at premierchristianity.com. I will start with a question. How much do you consciously engage in AI? It may be something that's part of your work, or you may be thinking, a what? AI, artificial intelligence, has many dimensions. And as Christians in leadership, keen to minister into today's culture, we ideally need to know about it. This is the second show on the topic. We had an introductory look with Chris Goswami and Professor John Wyatt, which is available to listen in the archive. But today we welcome two guests for a further look, Chris Curtis and Nathan Maladin. Uh, Chris is the founder of Youthscape, a youth ministry based in Luton, which began in 1993 with a ministry to secondary schools there, but now uh, trains and equips young leaders nationwide and is involved in cutting edge research into reaching and discipling young people. Uh, Nathan is a senior researcher with Theos. He holds a PhD in systematic theology from Queen's University, Belfast. He is the author of several publications, Data and Dignity, Why Privacy Matters in the Digital Age, and co-author of Faith in a Global City and Forgive Us Our Debts. They're also both involved in the AI Christian Partnership, which aims to be at the forefront of helping Christians engage in this topic. So welcome to you both to The Leadership Show. Um, just to... Uh, Ask the first question, really, just to get get us help us get to know you, uh, Nathan. First of all, wh when did you first become aware of AI? Um, well, I joined uh, Theos around seven years ago, um, and uh, at the time, you'd find the occasional article talking about how AI is coming um, and will wipe out loads of jobs. Um, <laughs> thinking about this, uh, and that's always been obviously that been a been a refrain that we've heard about automation um but there weren't that many kind of uh there isn't general interest in the topic um but i i was actually pulled into uh this area um by john john wyatt whom you had the uh, last time he was running a, a project in cambridge um looking at at this topic and i think he was a kind of a pioneer especially kind of in Christian circles. So that's how I got interested. And because I'm a bit of a generalist and I like to kind of dip into various topics, especially those that are like present big questions that I can get my kind of theological teeth into, uh, I was very happy to to uh, to get into this. And I didn't appreciate how, how huge a change it would, um, it would be. 
And I think we're we're just at the beginning in in many respects. Sure. Uh, and Chris, what your your journey into AI or awareness of it? I think I'm uh, I'm a bit of a newbie actually, which is that like a lot of people, when the the big version of Jack chat gpt launched in november 2022 and suddenly everybody was talking about it that that's when i i kind of took notice and i imagine again like a lot of people i i went and had a go and it's it was a little bit of a sense of oh wow okay gosh this this can do something interesting i've not seen this before so yeah i'm 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 relatively recent to this good stuff okay well you both have your kind of areas of specialism um uh so we'll start with you chris first of all and um uh, and then we'll kind of go to both of you at different points during the conversation you're in the youth space chris um organized a conference for youth leaders the theme of navigating the future including ai what did you talk about and and how did people respond to uh, what you did yeah we had about a thousand youth workers paid and volunteered um gather in birmingham in november in November 2023, so just a few months ago. Um, I think, by the way, I think people came with a, a mixture of feelings about the topic of AI specifically. I think I think there's a sense, certainly for some people I talk to, that they've they've heard predictions about the future, about lots of things that never quite uh happen. You know, we've seen documentaries that say, you know, in 10 years time, all the cars will be flying and, you know, and it never quite happens. And so I think when someone comes along and says, you know, something's coming along technologically and it's going to change everything, there's a little bit of us that says, yeah, maybe it will, or maybe it will just be a sort of incremental change. So I think people were interested, but kind of lots of questions. Um, We really tackled three different things in in this uh, weekend that we had um the, the sort of the starting point was was people just saying how can this help so are, are the things that ai can help me do that i uh, that are going to be quicker or better because i'm 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 using uh some form of ai and principally what they were asking by that is can chat gpt help me prepare a bible study or a talk or do something so so people are interested in like show me something it can do that will help me but but soon after that i think particularly as we we led some seminars around the ethics people begin to sort of think oh okay there's a bit more to this and maybe there are some moral and ethical considerations that I've got to take into account. So we, we did quite a bit of work around that. And then I think the bigger question that we're addressing is not how we're going to use AI and whether we should, but how is AI going to change the world in which young people are growing up? And, and what's that going to mean for us? And so our sort of landing point was, what does this feel, what's it going to feel like to do youth work in the next 10 years when young people are interacting with AI and how's that going to change things? And maybe we'll get more into that because I think that's one of the most interesting areas for us. Well, thank you. And, and Nathan, we talked talked a little bit about uh, AI in the workplace last time. Um, what's your take on the kind of pros and cons as you've had a look at it? Um I guess it just spends to some extent on the nature of the work. 
but nevertheless, in a broad kind of brush, how are you feeling about AI in the workplace and how Christians in leadership need to be aware of it, both in their own workplace, but also ministering to those um, who are involved in, in church leadership? Yeah, well, I'm glad you said at the very beginning, I think that AI covers a broad spectrum of, of, uh, of things, different kinds of systems, different technologies, different use cases, different ways of embedding them um, in, um, in, in workplaces. So it's, we should be kind of careful not to talk about AI as being one thing as a kind of a monolith. So yeah, different systems will be used differently. Um, and this is important to stress that um, employers, entrepreneurs, uh, workers have agency. They, we have power to, to say no to certain systems on the basis of kind of uh, deeper values that, that we have in place. So we, we should be kind of not, not forget that we, we have this agency, we have this freedom and resist the kind of rhetoric of inevitability that is so kind of common these days. You know, this is all coming, you know, you, you, gotta, you gotta jump on, on this train because it's gonna, it's gonna go past you otherwise, and you're gonna miss out on things. So you know, to get to 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 the details, um, the thing is, the jury is is out actually on a lot of these things. We really don't know what widespread uh, and kind of kind of deep adoption of AI systems will have on the workplace. But I think it's fair to say that it will definitely um, kind of turbocharge existing values that we have in our kind of culture and and uh, economies efficiency speed scale so more with less less time but also less people and less relationships so that you, you can already pick up on some concerns uh, so AI systems obviously promise increased efficiency they can automate routine tasks um, they can automate time consuming tasks uh, and the, the promise is that this will free up uh, time for employees to work on more complex and creative uh, aspects of their jobs. That's, again, you know, um, we've yet to see how that plays out. Uh, again, AI system promise enhanced productivity. Um, you can do much more in a shorter period of time. Uh, the shadow side of this is that, well, if you can now do 40% more, uh, with an AI system, an AI assistant, then you obviously in the long run need fewer people. So the question of job displacement is not insignificant. Obviously, there are various numbers that are put out there, various kind of projections. I personally think that we will have, at least in the medium term, more jobs lost, uh, even as new ones are created. And some of them, we don't even know what they will look like. Um, then there's, you know, obviously cost savings benefits for businesses, for employers. Um, AI can be a really powerful tool for analyzing, you know, large data sets and kind of discerning kind of what's relevant, the signal in the noise. Uh, so they can help decision making. But again, there is a there's a shadow side to this. And when when again, going back to the agency thing, when uh, workplaces, when managers, when entrepreneurs kind of give up, renounce, defer to the machines completely without staying in the loop. And that's how you end up with algorithms that are used for hiring or for firing or for rewarding and assessing employee performance in 
in ways that are uh, discriminatory because they're based on biased data sets. Obviously, that's a common one. But also more subtle uh, effects is that it can be it, it can lead to a de softly dehumanized culture. Uh, because now the machine's doing all of this work for you. You don't have to be involved. And for example, uh, you know, and you can end up with a very ruthless kind of culture. Um, and for example, with performance reviews, yes, the algorithm can take into account data points, for example, that a human might miss, but also it can be oblivious to personal circumstances that might lead someone to to have had a poorer performance in a year, right? So this all just points to the way these technologies are, are used. The temptation will be to outsource pretty much everything because humans take time, humans make mistakes, humans uh, are kind of messy creatures and there is a strong push to, to go faster and faster and faster. Um, so yeah, that's that's um, what I'm kind of concerned about is this doubling down on on the wrong values as paramount, you know, efficiency, speed, productivity, and lose ourselves, lose something of the human touch and distinctly human ways of being and working um, in our workplaces. We're drifting into the kind of ethical side of things. And Chris, obviously, AI is not without its ethical concerns for young people too. What, what do you see as the the dilemmas that may be thrown up in AI for ministering to young people? Yeah, well, it's kind of uh, at this stage, we're, we're imagining what might be. But let's, let's, let's go down that road. And let me describe some of the things that might create a bit of a dilemma. So imagine that you've got a group of young people, and you've just spent an evening with them. Uh, and this could be adults, this, you know, I'm talking about young people as a youth worker, but I, I'm not sure this is much different for, for anyone. And maybe you did some Bible study uh, and off they go. But it's been a short time and there was a lot to fit in and more to talk about. And so let's imagine that you had an AI driven chatbot that would uh, land in conversation with every one of those young people over the coming weeks and talk to them about what they've studied, ask them questions, get them to think about their Christian faith and what the application of the teaching was. Without you being engaged, you've got um, a computer, AI-driven, effectively doing Bible study with a group of young people. So on the one hand, you must think, well, that's great. I can never find enough volunteers for the youth work. There's no way we could get around and have those conversations individually with every young person in the week. Um, this is brilliant. On the other hand, you think, ah, okay, so young people are engaging in discipleship, but they're doing it with an algorithm, I suppose, to, to use shorthand. At what point are we uncomfortable with that? At what point does that feel difficult? So that that, that feels like the kind of space where you could uh, both be excited by the potential to engage young people way beyond the few hours that you have with them each week. But the question then arises about what human, what, what is pastoral ministry? What is discipleship and how much of that can be outsourced? I mean, there's been some early success, I have to say, in some tests, um, doing some basic text message conversations with young people around their mental health, uh, which has been driven by an AI chatbot, um, where young people 
have had real help given to them when they're, 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 they're chatting, but they're chatting to this algorithm and they're asking questions about their mental health and getting some support outside of the church that that's happening. But I think those kinds of questions are going to crowd us in pretty quickly in the next decade. Is um, AICE this um, kind of concept on your radar? Is it Youth for Christ to trying to develop this assistance to youth workers? Uh, well, there's, a, there's some work going on. This may or may not be um, the uh, the piece of work you're referring to, to help youth workers, essentially a sort of supercharged version of preparing a session, okay. which is a sort of grand way of using chat GPT. So I've got five 11 to 14 year olds and a 16 year old i've got them for 60 minutes tell me what i need to do with them to uh <laughs> entertain them and engage them give me a ready-made uh program uh so i think there's some interest in in doing that uh from from some people but of course the challenge is and nathan's already uh kind of hinted at this i think is that uh in that sense at the moment certainly um if if in this case, chat GPT was, was trying to answer that question. It's answering it only out of what already it can draw on. It's a very, it's, it's, it's not coming up with necessarily an, a new angle. So yeah, challenges. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if Nathan, I can jump, so carry on, Nathan. Yeah. Uh, if I could jump in here, I think what I'm excited about is um, custom GPTs. So, you know, right now we were all referring to to this chatbot, ChatGPT, which um, which yes is has billions of of uh, parameters and loads of text that it has ingested and processed, uh, but it's kind of all over the place, right? No one really knows exactly what's inside it. The exciting thing in in the future, uh, at least the promises, is that uh, organizations. Um, of different kinds and individuals can build their own custom GPT on top of the, the lang language model, they can feed a specific literature that they want it to kind of prioritize even and, and, and br bring results uh, and um, generate text on the basis of what is being fed. So for example, in, in the case of Youthscape, you might have a, a GPT that is trained specifically on um, theological works on on kind of youth education materials, whatever things that you would vet uh, as an organization, and 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 therefore you have therefore some more more control over its output, and you can make sure that you're not having this uh, you know random robot discipling your um, your the the youth you have under your responsibility and care. But you have something that's a bit more kind of um, more bespoke and uh, vetted. So, I mean, and, and this this is this is interesting for a number of different fields. Um, this idea of kind of personal, customized um, chat GPTs, if you will. Wow. wow. Yeah, and I think that that does feel interesting, doesn't it? But there's a part of me though that also wonders whether um, whether the, the real challenge of AI or the real point of contact won't be in the tools it gives us, but in the way it changes the young people that we're working with. So when, just to give a sort of a bit of a parallel, and I don't, I, I don't think we know whether this is a fair parallel yet, but when 
social media uh, really took off. What was that? 15 years ago, maybe a bit longer. And suddenly it was present. Um, and people were online and there were social media platforms. There was a huge buzz in youth work, often the kind of early adopters of these things, about how this was going to transform where we did youth ministry, what it looked like. We wouldn't need to meet in person. It was all going to be online. Um, and, you know, there were bits of that that were true, but it was much, it, it wasn't a big change actually in how we did youth ministry. What it did do was totally transform young people's lives. The latest bit of data from the UK I was reading just the other day won't surprise anybody. Young people are spending between two and five hours a day on their phone. So the real challenge of social media turned out not to be what it could help us do, but what it's doing to young people. And and so part of me just thinks, yeah, I think AI will help us prepare Bible studies and grab quotes and do interesting things. And I, you know, I welcome all of that. But I wonder, and I, Nathan, I don't know what you think about this. I just wonder whether the deeper challenges that are still perhaps unknown is how this will shape how young people and adults engage with the world, think about the world, feel about the world, because though that's the context in which we're going to be doing ministry. I don't know if you want to respond, Nathan. I've got another question as well. So yeah, um, yeah. I can edit I mean, this bit out. If you want to respond, feel free. Yeah. Really quickly. Uh, yes, I'm also equally preoccupied about the way the tools shape us. You know, there's this famous quote from the media theorist, Marshall McLuhan, who says, you know, we shape our tools and then they shape us in turn. Um, and the problem is we can't really know in advance how they will shape us, but they will definitely have a shaping effect, a formative effect. These are not neutral kind of technologies. They come laden with with ideas about what it means to be human and, and they orient us in particular ways to one another, to the world. Um, so I think it's important to be just discriminating and uh, really have a very clear understanding of what our values are when we kind of use these tools. If we value and we think actually we are embodied creatures and therefore embodied relationships wrestling um, with big questions in kind of face-to-face -face conversations important, then how do we use this powerful AI tool in a way that doesn't disrupt this and doesn't kind of um, mitigate against this wrestling face-to-face -face with some some big, big ideas, but in, in, and it enhances that. And I think there are ways of, of doing it, but we just have to be alert to our core values and not allow those to be completely swept up by the technology. Yeah, I, th I think um, I'm absolutely in agreement. I think, and, and particularly for leaders, being clear, thinking, engaging with our values, our beliefs as a foundation in to give us a good grip of whatever is coming our way is, is absolutely fundamental. And um, that's, uh, I mean, Theos, I, I'm not part of Theos, so I can say this. Theos has, has been brilliant in bringing the church a context in which some of that um, theology and engagement around values uh, has 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 worked so well, and we we need more of that. So I I think we we don't know what's coming, but we do know what matters to us, and I think deepening our sense of that is going to be really important going forward. I, I do want to touch before we we close, um, Nathan, on. Uh, 
I appreciate you've when you've written a, a, a lot on a topic, it's very hard to summarize. But this whole business of privacy and data, which already is affecting us more than we realize from a marketing angle, people know more about us than we ever realize they know about us in order to try and sell us stuff. I mean, you know, uh, that's just a fact of life. And I think most of us have realized that within our social media habits that we're getting sent adverts for stuff that we've already searched online for. So, so tell us about your concerns about the, the, the way data and the privacy side of things is, is uh, likely to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, my work in this area started from what is now old news, which is that we're constantly tracked um, and profiled. Our data, and some of us don't even think of it as our data, but you know, data about our internet habits and purchases, romantic preferences, if we are on apps that kind of record that stuff, um, job performance in some cases, our movements, all of these things are like, are hoovered up and analyze extensively with these AI systems to, to create these very detailed uh, profiles uh, and therefore make predictions about what we are likely to click on. Basically, it, it boils down to that. But the predictions can also be used in, in whether you are eligible for a loan or uh, if you should be given a promotion or not and, and so on. Um, and you've, you've touched on some of the benefits of this system, this kind of data economy that we have. We, we get personalized ads. We don't waste time. And we can click uh, away from them. Uh, again, we shouldn't underestimate their shaping uh, uh, power. And oftentimes you will get the same ad at very particular moments in the day. So, so there's definitely kind of an erosion of, of your will that's happening there, possibly. We love uh, the free the quote unquote free products that we use daily, you know, uh, Google Maps, uh, Amazon, um, and, and various recommendations that we we come across with these digital products. But there's also increasing awareness that uh, this data economy, again, has a, a dark underbelly. Um, and there are all sorts of things here. Declining teen mental health. I think uh, this is highly relevant to, to this conversation. And this is we, we now have pretty clear evidence that this is driven to a significant extent by social media, especially so-called performative social media like Instagram, TikTok, where you need to kind of present your best self. Um, we've obviously become aware of how social media has uh, created issues for democracy, conspiracy theories going viral and so and so on. Um, so there's lots of people who have been talking about this, AI ethics has grown as a kind of a discipline and as a movement. And a lot of these concerns converge on the notion of privacy. But the problem with, and it's it's parsed as a human right, which it is, and as a kind of a core value that we should be protecting. The problem with privacy is that it's a very individualist notion, you know, my data, my rights. And it's also wedded to autonomy to human autonomy, the idea that we have absolute freedom of choice. Now, you know, I want to be sympathetic to this. There's a lot to be said um, in a context where we have been robbed of a lot of agency um, through these kind of manipulative designs and, and uh, technologies. But I, I want to, in this work, Data and Dignity, I wanted to put privacy on a better kind of philosophical and theological footing to say, you know what, we're not actually autonomous individuals. We are persons, persons in relationships, and we have dignity. So dignity is a better 
foundation for thinking about privacy. And dignity, again, can be taken in various ways, but I wanted to say dignity is about being the kind of creatures that we are. We are embodied, which means that we have bodies with limitations. So there's only so much that we can we can take in in terms of information. You've touched on that earlier. Um, we can be uh, manipulated. And sometimes we, we don't, we're not even aware of that. But the designers are aware of that. And a lot of design is deliberately kind of um, meant to, to get you at your weakest in a sense. And we also have agency and, and freedom, not unlimited, um, but conditioned. And we shouldn't have technology that undermines uh, and erodes our agency and dignity. So this wider perspective allows us to see why privacy does matter in the digital age. And the, the key argument that I make is actually privacy is a form of loving our neighbors in the digital age, because it's not just about my data, my, my secrets, if I have any. Uh, a lot of people will say, I don't care about privacy because I have nothing to hide. We all do have things that we wouldn't want to be kind of, uh, be kind of spluttered all over the, the public. Um, but privacy, it is also about the systems that my data feeds into and the consequences uh, of those systems, which apply not to me, but to more vulnerable others. So data shows us that we are kind of entangled, that we are in relationships and some of my data can be used in very nefarious ways to discriminate against others. Um, yeah, it's a more philosophical kind of piece that tries to kind of offer some kind of thought leadership in this space and say privacy is important, but we need a richer way of understanding it. And Christian thought provides us with this um, richer um, framework. Well, thanks to both of you for uh, articulating so much of this. And I realize it's we're just dipping our toe into the topic for people to to bounce off from. Um, but uh, Chris, just to ask you, how is that Youthscape helping youth leaders address the challenges and opportunities of AI? What's the next state? You've been to, at a conference. Do you know what your next stage is going to be? Yeah, well, we've already produced actually and uh, for, for free a set of scenarios that are discussion starters for church leaders, for church groups, um, to explore all that we've been talking about, the, the ethical, the moral, the theological questions, the engagement with our values. So we've got five stories that, um, and then some, some questions that could, could, could get people talking. And they're available, I should say, as a free download from AIChristian.org, which is the, the partnership and the, the connection that, that uh, has brought Nathan and I and many others together to think about this. So um, that's been our next step, um, but much more to come. And as we continue with our training for youth leaders and some of the work that we're doing uh, over the course of this year, we're, we're going to be drawing into this subject again and again, because it it's clearly not going away. It's here. So uh, I think I think for I think it's incredibly helpful just to have the conversation, even even if it's not clear where things are landing yet. I think to get us engaged, thinking, praying, talking is a good thing. So I hope those scenarios will will be helpful. Uh, thank you, Chris. And Nathan, uh, Chris has already commended Theos, um, so people can get to the the website, uh, the Theos website. I guess. Do you want to remind us how to get there? 
Yeah, so it's theosthinktank.co.uk. Um, that's where you'll, you'll find uh, all of our reports and our commentary, uh, also news about events. Um, and yes, watch this space for more work on, on AI and uh, work and AI and relationships more generally. That's, that's a project that I'm currently developing at, at Theos. And we have in February a new report on AI and the afterlife, <laughs> uh, which looks at kind of the strange world uh, in which technology collides with the experience of death and loss, looking wow. at so-called grief tech. Oh, good stuff. Okay, well, thank you both so much. That's Nathan Maladin and uh, Chris Curtis. Thank you so much. It was lovely to chat with Chris Curtis of Youthscape and Nathan Maladin of Theos. The website that Chris mentioned, aichristian.org, that's the website of the AI Christian Partnership. The first show on this topic was aired on the 20th of December, 2023. So if you go to the profile and the leadership special, you'll find my conversation with John Wyatt and Chris Goswami. Both these gentlemen have written on the topic. Go to johnwyatt.com and you'll find a basic article, What is AI and Why Does It Matter? And Chris Goswami has written at 7minutes.net. That's his website. That's number 7minutes.net. So this is Andy Peck thanking you for your company and looking forward to the next time. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.